0: And to Be Natural, the podcast featuring stories from the badass women of the film and television industry. My name is Katherine Poole, but you can call me Kat, and today I'll be recording the very first mini-sode with my amazing guest host, Cassie Coolish. Hello. Just a little context, I am part of an organization at Emerson College called Women in Motion, so like this podcast, it focuses on women in the industry, and Cassie is my amazing vice president. So Cassie, if you could just introduce yourself a little bit and what you do.
1: Yeah, so my name is Cassie. I am a student at Emerson like cat and women in motion. I am the vice president of it. My focus in film is producing and studio management and just all of the business side of things. So I am very logistic minded. And I am just very excited to be here.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for being here. So today we'll be talking about Elise Guy She's our unofficial Women in Motion mascot and one of my personal heroes. And I don't know if you ever got to watch any of her films, but in History of Media Arts 1, our professor showed us falling leaves. Falling Leaves is a story of this little girl whose older sister has tuberculosis and she overhears the doctor saying that her sister will be dead by the time the leaves fall. Oh my God. And so this little girl goes outside and she begins tying the leaves back to the trees with string because she thinks it's going to prevent her sister from dying. And it's this 11-minute short film and it's beautiful and so well done and it made me fall in love with her filmmaking. And then when I was getting ready to do this podcast… I was thinking, like, who do I really want to talk about and things? And I knew I had to talk about her. And so it's actually where I got the title of this podcast. Uh, In her studio, Solax, which I'll talk about in a little bit, she had a huge sign on the wall that said, be natural. And it was like her mantra for directing, for just being in the studio and on the set. It was just be yourself. She was really into realistic filmmaking and the idea that everyone should just act like, you know, human beings do and not try to overact or anything. So that is now where I got the name from. my podcast, you know. Come on. Yeah, Yeah. be yourself. Just kind of come as you are. (laughs) So Alice, I'll call her Alice. She, If you're going to be French about it, it's Elise. It's it's Elise Guy Boucher. I'm I'm just going to stick with Alice. She was born in Saint-Mont, Paris Mm -hmm. on July 1st, 1873, but her parents lived in Chile. So she was raised by her grandmother in Paris for a couple years, and then her mom decided to come get her and bring her back to Chile. And so she grew up, and she was learning Spanish. She spoke French, and then she reached a certain age, and she was sent to a convent where her sisters were. So she was in an in a unvent for a while. And then eventually she wound up back in Paris and she learned stenography because at the time, women who wanted work learned stenography because it was an easy way to become a secretary if you yeah. had that skill. And so she became a secretary for Leon Gaumont. He was a French inventor. Yeah. So he was also looking into photography and filmmaking, but she didn't know anything about photography. Yeah. She knew there was technical things about it, but she didn't know anything about it. And so when she was 22 years old, so not really much older than we, we are, she attended the first ever demonstration by the Lumiere brothers oh. of the cinematograph. Oh. I'm totally butchering that, but, you know, French. Oh, cinemata- cinematograph works. <laughs> and so she attended that. And at the time, film was just stock images. It was crashing waves and trains coming into stations. And she was like, we can do better.
1: <laughs> and so. She wasn't wrong.
0: No. And so she saw more potential in it. And she she went to Gamon and she said, you know, I'd really like to take your camera and try a couple of things. And he said, and this is a direct quote that she gives from what he said. Okay. Well, it's a young girl's thing indeed. Well, you can try. And then he told her that she could do it as long as the male didn't suffer.
1: Isn't that ironic from like where we are now saying that it's a young girl's thing? Right. You know, the the
0: tendency to kind of, Trash things that young women like. It started early. (laughs) And so she takes him up on it and she writes and directs The Cabbage Fairy.
1: That one I have seen. Yes. So
0: those who aren't familiar, it was directed in 1896. So we're not even in the 1900s yet. And it tells the story of a woman who pulls newborn babies from cabbages. She used it again in later films. Mm -hmm. And she had this woman come and she just made it. And it was a huge success. Yes. People, people loved it. And so kind of almost overnight, she becomes head of production
1: at Gamal. Wow. Right. Like badass. Badass. And like before the 1900s too. Like yeah. that's crazy.
0: And it's so interesting because she's pretty much the first ever narrative filmmaker.
1: Yeah, and you don't learn about her either. Like, I don't think we covered her in my History of Media Arts class, but she was such a prior ne-
0: Oh, just you wait. We're going to we're gonna go a little into uh, why we don't know about her. Oh, um, okay. Just, just you wait. So, <laughs> while working for your mom, she writes, directs, or produces 600 silent films.
1: 600.
0: And 150 synchronized sound films.
1: Really? Yes. So she had a long career then because
0: synchronized sound didn't start until… Actually, so this is where it kind of gets interesting. So Edison had experimented with sound, but he was recording sound live Mm -hmm. with the picture. She was able to do synchronized sound and she really kind of created the first musicals because it was pre-recorded sound on a phonograph Uh and then wires were connected to whichever the camera or however to sync it up and then people would just lip sync. And she created like the first musicals.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so fun.
0: Right? And this is between like 1896 and 1906.
1: Yeah, so very early. So these
0: are like 750 films just in those 10 years. Wow. And so she also at the time was traveling around Europe just by herself with one cameraman, which, you know, not always the safest thing for a woman at that time, no. but she, she was all for it. And she made documentaries, these like travel documentaries too. Mm -hmm. So she didn't she did a lot. She was a woman with many talents. (laughs) And she's also considered one of the first comic directors. Really? Yeah. She had these really raunchy films. Okay, so she goes from being in a convent to creating films like The Sticky Woman. Oh. Which is this story. That includes this maid who's licking stamps and her tongue becomes really sticky. So she keeps sticking it out and this man watches her. And he becomes more and more interested in this woman who has her tongue out and is licking things. And so he becomes so overcome that he just starts kissing her and she just kisses him.
1: So she was like ahead of her time with all of this.
0: Right. There was another another one with a pregnant woman who's walking down the street and she steals a fish right from this guy and starts eating it. And then she keeps walking and steals absinthe from another man and starts drinking that.
1: Oh, my gosh. Right. I mean, good for her. That's the range that she had. And especially when you think about, like, what was happening at this time, because even like the like, oh, what was that one filmmaker that everybody credits for being the first to use sound? whoever did the jazz singer.
0: Yes, with Al Jolson. I'm trying to think yes. of a filmmaker. I can't think of it off the top of my head.
1: But that was, I believe in the 20s. Yes. So she was like ahead of her time. Yes,
0: yeah, the advent of sound really came later on. Yeah. But she, she was one of the first to experiment with it. Yeah. So
1: she's also purchasing scripts. She's a full on producer. So she's like running a studio, directing a whole bunch of films and producing. Yes. All in the span of what, 10 years? This is 10
0: years just at her time with Gamal. Oh my gosh. So she also was known for reversing gender roles. So Mm -hmm. she'd have stories where the men were doing things that you would expect a woman to do and the women were doing things that you expect a man to do. Like the men were at home taking care of things and the women come home and and things like that. So very ahead of her time. I'm starting to understand why we don't learn about her. Oh, (laughs) just you wait. So then there's The film, The Passion. Mm -hmm. It's like The Passion of Kriz. And it's a 30-minute long film. Also unusual for that time. 25 sets. 25 sets. Exterior locations. Over 300 extras. Oh. And it has early special
1: effects. Jesus. That, she, oh my gosh, we're not even like into it yet. No, this we're is not. Just, this is, like... is the very beginning. <laughs> and then it gets better because
0: she, she's working for Gaumont. She's buying these scripts yes. and scripts dealing was super common. You mm-hmm. could go to the movie theater at night and see a film and the next day you might see it as a script on your desk. It was yeah. so common. Alice wasn't playing around though. She was like, eh, I'm okay. She put powder on the scripts because scripts were going missing. Oh. She put powder on them and locked them up and was able to catch the person who was stealing scripts because she blew up the pattern. There were fingerprints, fingerprints and it was someone in the mailroom. room. Oh. So she a detective of sorts, right? <laughs> she was not messing around. And so then in her more personal life, she falls in love on set with a man named Herbert Blachet. You like him now. <laughs> And they (laughs) fall in love on set. I think he was the cameraman possibly, but they ended up not being able to use any of the footage. Oh. But she has to go abroad somewhere else in France to troubleshoot a Gamal camera. Mm -hmm. And he goes with her. And at that point, it's a done deal. And they're married, I think, by Christmas. Wow. Yes. So then he gets sent to the United States by Gamal to make films in the U.S. And she quits Gamal and follows him. Much to Gaumont's dismay. And so they start in Cleveland and they end up in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Cleveland. Cleveland. Interesting. Yes. Very interesting. Yep. And they end up in Fort Lee. And then she starts her own production company. Oh. Right? She takes an old Gaumont facility and Gaumont continues to distribute the films. Mm-hmm. And she calls it Solax and creates her own studio, right? Yes. It's thriving, right? Mm-hmm. She has animal performance. Buff- animal performers right mm-hmm. like all sorts of things they buy a big house and she builds a one hundred thousand dollars studio in new jersey yes she
1: should right right not messing
0: around in 1911 the moving picture news calls her quote a fine
1: example of what a woman can do if
0: given a square chance at life
1: there's like not really words you can say for that no but here's the thing
0: though people still saw a film as a fad Yes. They were like, "Eh, it's not going to last. It's
1: really cool now. It's, you know, it's not going to last. Then you know that because it was still in New Jersey at the time. Yes.
0: And so tons of women were in the industry. She was not the only one. Women were writers. They were directing things. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there was Lois Weber, like all sorts, all sorts of female filmmakers. But people didn't really care because they were like, it's not going to last long. Yeah. Let them have it. Still 1911. (laughs) Very, very early days. Yes. And so she continues to do her thing. Lots of social commentary. Mm -hmm. There's this emphasis on marriage equality in her works. Okay. So in films like A House Divided and Matrimony's Speed Limit, I watched A House Divided and it's this story of this couple and this misunderstanding leads them to decide to separate but still live together. And so they start passing notes back and forth, passive-aggressively because they don't want to talk to each other. Oh, that's funny. And so – has a great quote that I just have to say. She's showing what we presume is her mother-in-law, the different notes they've passed. And one of them is, quote, I need a hat. And the response is, keep on needing it.
1: That's so funny. Like, that is, that's peak humor right there. Right? She also does action films with female heroes. So there's, like, Two Little Rangers,
0: Greater Love Hath No Man. She's got, you know, female cowboys kind of going out and shooting and and doing things. Wow. Right? So she's just really, like, breaking all expectations. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then she decides she wants to do features. Because at this point, it's been all, you know, five to 30-minute films. Mm -hmm. Kind of was the medium at the time. But then features are starting to develop. Yes. So – Here's where we start to have a problem with Herbert. Oh, Herbert. He creates his own features company. Okay. Even though his wife already oh, has a production company yeah. and a studio, he decides... And is thriving with it. And is thriving. He creates Lachey Pictures. <gasps> yeah. And she directs for his company. Okay. And makes, you know, makes films for him. And then that company is later absorbed into Metro, which ultimately yes. becomes Metro Goldwyn meyer MGM. <laughs> so... It was short-lived, but he decided he didn't he didn't need to use his wife's production company. And so then the plot thickens with Herbert. They start oh. to have marital issues. Uh, yeah. He goes west. You know, we know that obviously with Edison mm-hmm. and the multi-picture patent company. Yeah. People couldn't really do what they wanted to because of Edison's control. So they moved west to Hollywood. And so Herbert moves out there and Alice stays behind with the children. They have two kids. Oh, okay. Yes. And uh, Herbert has an affair with Lois Weber. <gasps> Another female filmmaker. Another very
1: notable female filmmaker. She was
0: actually called Mrs. Smalley. That was like her nickname. Uh-huh. And I, so one of my sources for this was a documentary. Mm-hmm. And in the documentary, you know, she's talking about it. And I guess she sent a letter to him that was like, I know you're sleeping with Mrs. Smalley. I'm going to take legal action because – I That's... don't want my reputation ruined.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: But unfortunately for poor Alice, Selux goes into debt. Oh. And then a fire oh. breaks out
1: at part
0: of the facilities. Oh. And then she gets influenza.
1: Oh, so she's just bang, bang, bang. Like getting hit with everything. Oh, yes.
0: So she decides, okay, I'll move west. Yeah. Her and Herbert, not getting back together. But no. he has her come out. They're still, They're still – Friendly enough to see each other. Okay, and then the twenties hits. Oh, so at this point we've gone from you know 1906 leaving Gamal and you no know, Solax and everything, and then we hit the twenties. Yes, and this is when Wall Street decides they'd like to take an interest in the film industry because yes. there's money. Yes, yes, yes. And so, you know, with men and money, all the women of in the industry are kicked out of the industry. Yes, they are. They're all fired. All gone. And so at this point, a lot of her films have been lost. Yeah, with the fire and everything. Yep, and just people didn't keep copies, so... No. She didn't have copies of her films. She divorces Herbert. She moves to France with her daughter. And when she gets to France, can't find any work. No one will hire her. Yeah. She's, you know, not having enough money to take care of herself and her children. She's
1: begging people to help her find a job. Can't get a job in France. No one will hire a woman. After... Everything this woman did just for the film industry and all of her accomplishments, no one hires her because she's a woman. Yep.
0: She can't get hired in France. Yeah.
1: So then she decides to lecture
0: at different film schools. She novelizes some of her scripts. She writes magazine articles, kind of doing what she can to to make it through. Yeah. She doesn't own any of her films. Who owns them now? It's just the physical films. She just doesn't have any of them. Oh, I so, thought like
1: copyright reasons.
0: No, not for copyright. Just like physical Copy- films.
1: Yeah. Copyright law was... It was just beginning, yes. I believe. Because of Disney. Yes. And the Mickey Mouse situation.
0: Yeah, that was a little later on. But yes, yeah, so she she didn't physically own any yes. of the films. And many of them are lost. But then, here comes here comes the frustrating part. <laughs> okay. So as resources are created and, and books are written and and people begin attributing early films mm-hmm. films are attributed to her husband yes films are attributed to her assistant director who is a man yes so she's not mentioned at all as a female in um, as a female director in fact some of them say that the first female director was like Lois Weber and things yes. in a, in a few years later than that, than when she started. So she's not even mentioned as the first female filmmaker in any of these resources, books, writings. And Solex, her own production company, attributed to her husband. Oh. Yeah. It says, you
1: know, and this is Herbert Lachey's studio, Solex. That's so incredibly frustrating. And I had like, learned of Lois Weber in my History of Media Arts class. I hadn't heard of Elise, Gablon, Gu- Gu- yeah, Elise <laughs> Guy Blanc. <laughs> Guy Blachey. I did not take French in high school. But no, and the fact that like that was the woman that her husband was cheating on her with too. It's just like a cruel, cruel cycle of irony. Right? Yeah. And so she, she tries to correct
0: things. Yeah. So then she is attributed with the film The Misdeeds of a Calf's Head, which she didn't direct. Uh, and she, she in in the interview I watched, she she like, I didn't, there's this disturbing movie, and I, I didn't I didn't do it. Like, you know. Yeah. And she's speaking in French, so this is obviously me paraphrasing, but she was like, Everyone keeps saying I, I did this film. I did not do this film. <laughs> and she was she was very adamant about that because yeah. she's like, that's not mine, but I did all these other things. And then there's a history of Gamal written. Okay. She's not mentioned a at s-
1: all. A single time.
0: Even though she was the first one. Even though to, She was the one that gave Gamal success. Like he wouldn't have. Yeah. She was the one who was ahead of production, who actually yeah. branched out into the first narrative film. Yeah. Right? She's not even mentioned. And so when Gamal passes away mm-hmm. and his son is around, she had notes for a second edition of this book. Okay. And she had known she wasn't mentioned. And she had spoken to Gamon before he died and spoken to his son. And she had these notes for the for the editor of whoever, like, these are my contributions. And she offers to send it. And she says, you know, I can meet with whoever. The second edition comes out,
1: she's not mentioned once. That's crazy. And whereabouts are we in terms of, like, time now? This is 40s, 50s. Gotcha. Because she dies,
0: and I believe it was sixty. 60- Eight. Wow. Yes. Long life. Yes. She was in her 90s when she passes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she spends the rest of her life trying to correct her legacy. Yeah. She travels around looking for films, her own films, looking, getting collectors and asking to, you know, purchase her reels and things yeah. like that. There's also – so we're the original location where they demonstrated the cinematograph. It's a museum now yes. for film. And originally when you walked in, there was this huge photograph. And it was actually Alice in the studio film like directing. Really? It was this huge photograph. It was beautiful. And then they redid the exhibit and they centered it on Gaumont and Path or Path, yeah. pronounce it differently. Yeah. Again, French. And so they change it to
1: that instead. And she's not mentioned once. It's just imagine making like I'd I'd imagine close to a thousand films at the point like when she had stopped working and just none of it being credited to you. Like all of the work that she did, like creating a production company from the ground up, like producing all these films, traveling with cameramen, doing this directing, literally pioneering like sound and narrative and all this stuff. And Living to see it be credited to somebody else. Right. And trying to fix that and proactively
0: going out and seeking out the people who have the power to change it and being ignored and still continuing to have her legacy
1: completely like tarnished. I mean, yeah. I mean, even like these like film classes that we have taken, like obviously not everything is going to be accurate, but the fact that she's not mentioned a single time is absolutely insane to me because I had heard of her like obviously like through our conversations that we had and then just like watching films that have come up time and again but like I didn't know any of this history and I doubt that many people listening knew any of this history and so the the, the sad thing is that by the
0: time she dies she only gets a hold of two of her films and part of a third. Which films? it didn't it didn't say which ones she just you know thousands yeah. of films and she's only able to find like two uh, i believe there was one that someone just wasn't willing to part with even though it was her film yeah and so at one point she kind of just you know gives
1: up yeah and kind of you know before she dies and yeah i mean i can't imagine the like frustration that that right? must have been especially to have it credited to herbert right like, because they have the same last name. So you can just put, like, I don't know. Even, even though he started his production company with their shared last name and she directed for it, like, she doesn't get any of that credit. Like, doesn't get credit for Solax. Doesn't get anything.
0: Yeah. And she literally, in her old age, was traveling around Europe and everything. And that's when I say... She gave up was essentially not necessarily giving up, but was stopping traveling. Yeah, and just saying, you know, she was older. She, I because, would not want to be, you no, know, and ninety it, years old and and
1: trying to fly around Europe, trying to get yeah. people to listen. Especially if you're just being ignored time and time again, that just takes like a toll on your psyche too, right? Yeah. So, so I obviously did use sources for this, yes. and I do want to credit my sources.
0: So. One of those sources was a documentary that was uh, Be Natural, The Untold Story of Alice Guy Blachey, and it's directed by Pamela B. Green. And Pamela deserves so much credit because she, for this documentary, like, again, nothing was known. Yeah. And she actually starts off the documentary by interviewing famous filmmakers like, you know, Patty Jenkins. And, yes. And she's got, you know, all these different people, and she's asking them, have you heard of Alice Guy Blachey? and and None of them had. I think Ava DuVernay had. She was, you know, I love Ava. (laughs) Ava had heard of it, but a lot of famous filmmakers, even today, had never heard of her. And so she sought to answer the question what happened? Yeah. Where did the legacy go? And so she actually traveled around Europe, found lost footage of an interview with Alice's daughter, where, you know, her daughter did want to protect her mom's legacy and things, but. Pam- Pamela deserves all the credit because she really and it's a beautiful documentary. It's narrated by Jodie Foster.
1: Oh, yeah. And it,
0: it's so well done because it really is this kind of mystery documentary exploring what happened. Yeah. And so if you're, you know, interested if you're listening or, you know, yeah. whoever, you should totally check out this documentary if you want. Uh, more specific information or you want to watch some of the footage of Alice talking about her work, talking about her experience, listen to her daughter, talk about what her mom was like, things like that. But that was, where can I find it? It's on Amazon. Oh, beautiful. And uh, I I am not partnering with Pamela in any way. <laughs> I just love the documentary she made yes. and it is available on Amazon Prime. But I did have just a couple other sources. One of the biggest scholars who talk about Alice is Alison McMahon. I could be pronouncing that wrong. So I'm sorry, Alison, if you ever hear this. But she is one of the foremost scholars on this. So I, I used her information from the Women Film Pioneers Project. And then I also used a New York Times article called Overlooks No More, Alice Guy Lachey, The World's First Female Filmmaker by Manola Dargis. And so the cool thing about the column that this was in is that they basically write obituaries for people who were left out of the times when they died.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yes. So it's, it's the whole like forgotten no more is, I think the name yeah. of the column. It's this idea of if the New York Times neglected to write an obituary at the time of their death, kind of rectifying that by providing a profile on them now. Okay. I, I like that yeah so those those were my sources. so if you're interested in learning more, definitely check those out. yeah, check out that documentary. but yeah, so that that is Alice Guiblachet
1: in a nutshell of sorts. I am so obsessed now. I really am gonna go home later tonight and watch this documentary because i I'm just so like baffled about how like that could happen, right like. it it, it makes sense like obviously you know a lot of female filmmakers at the time weren't given the credit that they deserve but to make that many films and accomplish that much so early on like in the like baby stages of the film industry like and to not be recognized for any of it yeah like and I'm glad that we're talking about her now and I'm glad that like you know, woman emotion, she's our woman of the week for the first week because I do think that a lot of younger female filmmakers who don't feel like that they have a say, like learning about her and what she did, like, I don't know, maybe this may, maybe it'll be encouraging. Maybe it'll be discouraging because it was all like taken away from her. But I do think like everyone should know who she is. And I think working to like spread the word and like get her legacy back known is the best thing we can do for her. For me, I
0: think the thing that I hope listeners and, you know, Women in Motion members take away is that she had no photography experience. She had no technical experience, okay? She went in and just used her intuition and kind of had a feel for it
1: and just went in and told the stories that she wanted to tell. Yes, and she told so many of them in such a short amount of time. And I think that just goes to show that, like, you don't need experience to be good in this industry. Like maybe now so more than ever, you might need a little bit. But like if you're coming into like college, like film school, and you're intimidated because some kids took film classes in high school and like have a couple of short films. They're talking about Tarantino and and throwing
0: out
1: out movie titles. Like I – Promise you, you don't need to come in with any experience. You just need to have, you know, the passion for it. And even just an idea, like everything starts with an idea. It's true. So, Cassie, we all know that you have plenty
0: of ideas. (laughs) And so, if you could just let people know how they can find you, maybe they want to hire you, maybe they want to learn more about what you do or watch something you've created. Where should they go to find you?
1: Yeah, so on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, it's just my name, Cassie Coolish or Cassandra Coolish. Um, but if they want to learn more about me as a filmmaker, then I'm just going to plug our Woman in Motion website. Um, it is an organization that both Kat and I are a part of that we touched on a little bit at the beginning, but we just launched our website. It is Emerson.com or .org. It'll route you to the same place. But I am vice president of Women of Motion with Kat. I am also president of a music video organization at Emerson called Beat Dynamics, and I produce a show called Floor 13 for another org on Beat Dynamics, and we're in our season two. So those episodes are coming out soon. I've produced a couple of BFAs that are coming out soon, so those will all be promoted on my social media at some point in time. (laughs) Well, great. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I I hope (laughs) you had
0: fun. I did. And so uh, to everyone else, have a great week and remember to be natural.